Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is episode 162 of the show, and today we've got our friend Andy Panos joining us from Cloudbreak Health. It's definitely an exciting episode, and Andy's got a great story. I hope that you all enjoy this episode and learn a lot from Andy. He's got a lot of great experiences to share with us and a lot of great advice. And of course, just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to the Conquering Columbus podcast. We really appreciate everybody who's listening every week. Before we jump into that interview, though, we got to take a quick moment to thank some of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus, and that starts with Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus, and their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. And Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to work with like-minded businesses to raise money for great causes and participate in large-scale volunteer efforts and improve educational opportunity for youth in our community. Their next event is on July 24th, Community Service Day, with a happy hour afterwards, meant for small business owners, entrepreneurs, and community-driven professionals across the city. To learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That is small, B-I-Z, cares, Dot O-R-G. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. All right, Conquerors, let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Today on the show, we've got Mr. Andy Panos joining us, and Andy is a co-founder and the chief operating officer at Cloudbreak Health, a telehealth company that provides a suite of industry-leading services to their customers. And Andy first founded a company called the Language Access Network, or the LAN, back in 2003, when his brother got into an accident in Mexico, which was compounded by the fact that Andy's family didn't speak the same language as his brother's doctors. After seeing that problem, Andy formed the LAN, and since then, the LAN has become a part of Cloudbreak Health, an umbrella company for the several telehealth services the Cloudbreak team provides. 
And in 2016, Cloudbreak received the Patrick Soon-Chung Innovation Award from the LA Business Journal. We're really excited to have Andy on the show today to talk about his journey and the story of Cloudbreak Health. Welcome to Concrete Columbus, Andy. Hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate it very much. Really excited to talk a little bit about our story, uh, where we started, where we're going, and uh, you know, hopefully with a great finish. Yeah, it's, it's all you can ask for, right? And it's, it's good to finally have you on. We've talked back and forth before, and finally having you on the show, getting to hear your story here is going to be a lot of fun today, I think. But uh, typically, we like to start back at the beginning, talk about early life, career, how you got to where you are, and can, we kind of mentioned that story on the background of the Language Access Network. So can you talk to us about maybe some main highlights along the way up to that point? Highlights or lowlights, maybe. <laughs> uh, you know, a little bit of each. Uh, you know, early on, I, uh, I'm actually from Utah. Uh, high school, grade school, parochial school, um, went on to uh, start my illustrious college career at the University of Utah. Uh, learned early on that I was having too much fun, was asked to not come back. And uh, so I was like, wow, I am totally a screw up. And uh, so after some hard work and, and working, uh, you know, tough hours and th some things, I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to call up my mom and see if I can uh, make my move back to, to Montana where she was living, go back to school, you know, go up and become a businessman and go to school and learn how to do that. Uh, I finally remember my first calculus class and sitting in that and I looked up and I said, looks like I'm in marketing and communications. I'll see you guys later. And uh, went on and graduated Montana State University out of, uh, out of their Billings camp campus and uh, started in the uh, marketing, design, and printing industry while I was there. Made my way up uh, through the sales organization, vice president, you know, young guy, really kind of doing a lot of sales and enjoying it and some things. What age were you at that point? About 24, 24, 25, right around there, uh, when I first started kind of into that industry. And then, uh, you know, continued my course of uh, that industry, really enjoyed it. You know, we felt uh, very good at what I was doing. We were fortunate in the company that I was working with because you're, when people say, well, you're from Montana and uh, you're selling printing and design work there. And we say, well, you know, if you come out here, um, we can do a press check on your brochure and then that afternoon we can go down the Bighorn River and do some fly fishing. And it was yeah, a nice little incentive to bring people out and we, we did a lot of that and uh, it was kind of nice. So from there, interestingly enough, I met a girl from Columbus, and um, met a girl, right? That's how it happens. It's, it's kind of how it happens. Uh, it's it's kind of neat because, you know, I, I knew a little bit about Columbus, even more so as a little bit of my, my background in marketing and design. I was working for an organization or working with an organization uh, known as Zoo Montana, and it was a, uh, a group that was striving to put together the first zoo in Montana. And a lot of people, it was, a tough, it was tough. A lot of people would be like, well, why do we need a zoo? I can drive 20 miles outside of town and get eaten by a bear if I want to. Why do I need to look at one in a fence? You know, kind of a situation. And uh, so as we started this, we said, you know, we need, we need someone that really understands zoos. And um, our director reached out to Jack Hanna said, hey, we want to start a zoo in Montana. Would you be willing to help us? And he did. He said, yeah, I'm going to come out Montana and help you guys start a zoo. And uh, 
I started seeing a lot of people from Ohio because Jack would start to bring a lot of folks out and uh, he ended up getting a place out there. And uh, so uh, people were coming out visiting and as a group associated with the zoo, we would go out to dinner and some things like that and ended up meeting my future uh, in-laws that were, that were there. So anyway, they got there and uh, continued my career and it was like we started a family and it was like, you know what? I'm gonna move back to, to Ohio and, and continue my journey that way. So you show up in Ohio and then how do things begin to unfold? Did you already have a position lined up when you came here? I did. I was working for a place called Hopkins Printing and uh, just continuing what I had been doing. And it was at that point that I met my uh, future business partner. He was a vice president of design at a local firm here. And I was selling him printing. He had brochures and things that he wanted done. And he, we kind of said, you know, we had to look at doing this by ourselves, doing it on our own, going out there. Never would have thought, entrepreneur, right? Wow, what is an entrepreneur? And uh, it, it's like, well, I don't know. Let's, let's see what we can do. I can do the printing part. You can do the design part. And let's set it up and, and give it a shot. What year is this? This is 96. So, yeah, start April of 97, 96, 97 is right around where that was. That was crazy, right? Here I got a good job, getting a nice paycheck, brand new baby, just moved to Ohio. Hey, what the heck? Let's start a company. You know, it was, it was a little crazy at the time. Uh, we put together a business plan, started pitching it to some people and some stuff like that. Very fortunate that from some people that I knew, I reached out to a friend of mine. I said, this is what we're looking at doing. And it was my first introduction to what was known as angel investing. And this guy says, I'm going to give you guys $10,000 and, uh, you know, pay me back on a schedule. Tell me what you can do and some things like that. And we were like, yeah, okay, we, we can do that. Once we did that, the uh, business partner and I, I went up to uh, Micro Center applied for a, a micro center credit card and for $10,000 and we got the, the, got the credit card and we went and bought $10,000 worth of computer equipment and found a little space in Upper Arlington and set, you know, set up shop, ready to go. Put it out and uh, man, uh, we, we, we came to know a, uh, a saying there and it was one day chicken, the next day bones. And if you weren't out selling all day long and working all night to get the stuff done, you know, we were, we were, we were, we were skimming along quite a bit there. But we grew the business. Mm -hmm. And it was really a, a fact of, of getting out there and, and finding the clients, working with us, putting together you know, our portfolio. And, and you know, from a standpoint of Columbus, still the thing I love today is Columbus is a great city to do business. People in Columbus want people to be successful because it reflects on what the city is and how good we are. And I really appreciate that across the board. Yeah, I agree. I think Josh and I talk about it constantly on this show, but one thing we've always loved about Columbus and found is that people are always willing to sit down and talk with us here, right? And people are always willing to kind of spread their knowledge and help each other. So it's, it's definitely something we've seen. Now, you get that off the ground. Is there, was there a turning point there? So you mentioned you were kind of skimming along, and I don't want to spend too much time because I know we're here to talk about LAN and Cloudbreak Health, but I'm interested, you know, was there a turning point at which you were like, hey, this is going to work out? Because you said you were skimming along. Was there ever a point where you, you, you kind of realized, hey, we're okay? You know, uh, there is a point, but I think as soon as you get comfortable and you think, hey, we're, we're, we're making it now, is when you get caught. 
you know it it, it, it you you uh you kind of look over your shoulder, and as soon as you stop kind of looking over your shoulders, when you, when you, I think you start getting into a little bit of trouble. But there was a point, yeah, we start growing. Uh, we had lots of people, moved in some new offices, doing great work, great clients. And, uh, you know, just from a standpoint of, of direction, we looked at just kind of going in separate ways. And, and actually, uh, when we did that, that's where I started this uh, second company that was another marketing design company it was uh, a little boutique company that I had and where I actually was working with a client that uh, took us to an event and that's where kind of the birth of language access network started we were at a um, an event where there were some uh, emergency room doctors that were there and at the time this is you know early 2003 there was this whole new refugee population coming into Columbus being the uh, the Somali population, and at the same time there was some new regulatory tailwind in the medical side. And at the time, pe- the the doctors and everybody were calling it HIPA instead of HIPAA. It's like, oh my God, we got this thing HIPA, and I can't talk to a, a patient whose family member is there to help me speak to these people. And I was dumbfounded at that point because I was like, wait a minute, we live in Columbus. I mean, what do you mean there's people that need like an interpreter here? And because of the life event with my brother, you know, being injured down in Mexico and, you know, really being in a situation where you experience a language barrier, it's really, really tough. And I mean, we were looking at morgues because we were told my brother was dead. You know, I was like, come find out. It's like, no, you know, one of the guys is alive. And my brother was with a, a friend of his. And so then we start looking at, at hospitals. And everywhere we went, it's like, you know, do you speak English? And it's the normal thing, right? We're screaming in the phone, do you speak English? You know, like it would make a difference. <laughs> but it doesn't. And that's really what happens, you know, even, even today. And so these doctors talking about this situation in their own, in their own emergency rooms and, and bringing back up those feelings that I had, it was really starting to resonate with me. And there was this, this idea and one of the doctors uh, from Ohio State was, was talking a little bit about something that they've been doing, what was called telemedicine. And he was like, you know, we have this little cart, and they put this little TV thing on it, and we wheel it, you know, room to room. And it was at that point where we kind of were like, well, heck, if you could put a doctor behind the screen, why wouldn't you put an interpreter, and then you could have an interpreter anywhere you wanted. And it was, sounds like a great idea. Someone should start a company. And it was that point forward that we started down a path of let, let's let's find out first of all what HIPAA is, and let's go down to Ohio State and see what this little device is, and let's see if there's something that could be done. And what we found out is that it was a much larger industry than than we thought. And at the time, we you know heck we were you know I'd done a couple of companies. This was my third company, and I'm thinking to myself, ah, this is a piece of cake. You know, we'll build it up, we'll flip it, we'll get out early. And uh, we'll make a ton of money. And, uh, you know, here I am 16 years later still doing the same thing. It's a passion, obviously. Uh, You know, making a difference in people's lives every day is pretty neat. And uh, addressing what we refer to as a healthcare disparity that's happening in the hospitals. It uh, is something that's pretty neat and, and something that we've built that we can do. So what were some of the challenges early on and how did you land that first customer with the product? Great question. Uh, you know, in, in the early days, you know, we, uh, 
we really had to find somebody that was an early adopter of technology that kind of felt them that they were on the cutting edge because what we were bringing you think about that 2003 you know facetime wasn't around skype wasn't around we were bringing technology of uh, video conferencing to a mainstream situation and trying to gain the trust of of a hospital or a medical facility to say yeah we'll take a chance on you and we were we were you know technology you know the internet back then sucked so trying to do any sort of two-way video was very difficult you're inside of a hospital network that can be challenging in its own right and then trying to convince people that what we have is better than what you currently have and we can do it you know better faster cheaper if you will and um, we got lucky uh, Ohio State was our first client and they said you know what we're you know local company we're willing to take a chance on you guys and uh, we're gonna set you up in our emergency room and and uh, let's see if it, let's see if we can make it work. Uh, you know, it was a lot of hard work early on. You know, we, you know, uh, quick story and the fact that one of our first interpretations didn't go so well, and you know, we had the we had the technology pretty much down. Remember, I'm a marketing guy, so I'm kind of like, uh, go out and get the interpreters, go get these bilingual people to help us with this, and so I'm like going out. Craigslist, finding people, getting them in and interviewing them and saying, wow, this guy sounds like an interpreter. Let's put him in a booth. And, you know, our very first interpretation, the uh, provider says to the patient, hey, can you scoot your bum back? And I'm thinking to myself, okay. And, and the guy that we had as a Spanish interpreter wasn't a native-speaking Spanish individual. And what came out of his mouth was, was pretty spanglishy, pretty bad. And they turned the system off. They said, you know, goodbye. And we're like, hey, you know, okay, it wasn't that good. And they're like, you know, what kind of testing did you do with these guys? I said, none really. And they said, well, how'd you know they spoke Spanish? I said, I asked them. And they said, do you speak Spanish? And I go, nope. And they said, well, how'd you know they were speaking Spanish? So we learned early on, you know, that there was more than just technology that we had to deliver. We had to deliver a product, a skilled product to the situation that allowed the providers to be confident that who we had on the screen would, would do it. So it was a lot of challenges, lots of challenges early on of how to get it up and going. So you get it up and running, things are going well. Uh, as a team grew, you kind of realized that there were some other services that were needed to round out your offering. So what was CareNection? Why was it formed? And you know, what was, what was the problem that was solving for you guys? So the reason that we formed CareNection is as a language company, we would come in and we'd sit down with a hospital and we say, okay, these are the things we need you to do in order for the video to work properly. And when we're talking to an IT department and we're a language services company, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, stay in your low lane, bro. You don't know what you're talking about. You guys do language, we do not networking. Yet, our IT staff is some of the most highly skilled video people that were out there because we had to figure the way to transport video back and forth between the two uh, uh, entities in order for it to work. And so when we'd sit down with people and say, no, no, really, this is what you need to do. And it would be this long process of, well, they say to do this, but we think we should do it this way. And, and then we'd end up doing it the hospital's way. And they would say, can we try our way? And then we'd try our way and they'd say, oh my gosh, it works. We're like, yeah, of course it works. We, we know what we're doing here. We haven't seen a network yet that we haven't you know, been in that we can't figure out how to, how to do it. So 
Carenection was actually Language Access Network's IT team, and we spun it out as its own entity. So we really had a, an IT network type of a group, and then we had the service group, which was Language Access Network, and we had two separate entities that we started with. So when we'd go in and we'd talk to a hospital, we'd sit down and say, okay, we're the language services part. Oh, and by the way, we'd like to bring in our tech partner, CareNexion, to talk a little bit about how the wireless needs to be set up and how we're going to be doing the video and stuff. And we'd sit these guys down from our, our IT team that was CareNexion now, and it was like a totally different conversation. They're like, oh, we brought the pros in, and we know that this is going to be a good conversation. It was just, it was just us back at the table, but kind of in a different scenario. However... The tech part of CareNexion and the network and the people that were on there realized that it's like, you know what, we have a product that could fundamentally work outside of language services. We could package this system if we wanted to and sell it to banks or we could sell it to insurance. We could sell it to people. It's a good two-way video interpreting or video platform that has skills-based routing, it has all these different things that could be used probably in some other industries. So we've kind of started going down that path a little bit. So by doing that, we kind of created interest in both companies at the time. So what made you eventually want to bring them both back under one umbrella? So great, great question again. So bringing, bringing both of the companies back together was actually spearheaded by a private equity firm that was getting ready to invest in us. They wanted to not only invest in the language services company, but they also wanted to invest in the tech company because they saw value in both. And what we ended up doing is creating an umbrella organization, which was known as CloudBreak, to bring both of those entities under one so the private equity firm could invest into one entity. And we could, as a board and, and leadership, distribute money down to both of those wholly owned subsidiaries underneath that and give them the, the means to do that. Okay, so it was a financial structure to kind of help smooth things out with that transition. So how has that been? I mean, has that changed anything for either of the companies in terms of, you know, the way they're structured or the way they do business? You know, I think we essentially took two wholly owned companies and, and this, this culture and this culture, and we kind of put everybody under one umbrella and everybody's still kind of working independently yet kind of crossing because we need you and you were going to need you because you're our biggest client type of a thing. But when we made the decision to go back out into market as one entity and to say that we are CloudBreak Health and CloudBreak Health addressing many different healthcare disparities, whether it be language services or stroke or psych or whatever it is, bringing both of the cultures together I would say has been probably the most challenging. Um, you know, we want to do one way, well, we do it this way. And as management, we've really had to steer that ship a little bit and to make sure that that messaging that we're, that we're bringing out there as one is, is cohesive to both as we do this. And that's, 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 that's been, you know, a lot of fun. So you start the initiative in 2003. What year do you bring both the companies together? So 2003, a uh, little, little bit of back history as well. 2003, we get some, again, some angel investing money. Uh, that brings us up to about 2004. We have a change in the ownership group in 2004. Uh, by 2005, early 2006, 
we did something that was a little bit crazy. We became a public company, trading under the pink sheets. Highly recommend if you're an entrepreneur out there, do not do that. It's not a good way to raise money. So we went into market and started down this path. We did raise quite a bit of money. Um, we got up to about 10 clients. And in 2007, we were actually out in market trying to do another raise of cash. And one of our board members was actually the chief medical officer for a group in California called Emergent Medical Associates. And he says, you need to meet these guys. You know, they're doctors. We run emergency rooms out here in Southern California. We have this need all the time for language services. So we got introduced to the, to, to the senior leadership, uh, in particular their CEO, who today is our CEO, Jamie Edwards. And uh, Jamie's a recovering investment banker. He was a Lehman brother guy and um, had made the decision to go run his uncle's company out in California to kind of show his uncle, you know, all of his knowledge from, from the banking world to grow this ED company. And so he met with us, and he and I just really kind of hit it off. It's like, yeah, you know, I really like your idea. You know, I'm kind of an entrepreneur guy myself. And, and I said, can you help us with our pitch deck? And he said, yeah, I'd love to do it. You know, so puts it together. We're back out in market in late 2007. And we find a group that's going to invest in us. And two weeks before they're going to fund our company, we get this phone call. And it was kind of like, uh, 2008 is going to be really bad. There's some really bad things happening. Uh, good luck. And then click, you know, kind of hung up. And we're like, hello? <laughs> Where'd you guys go? And so we were kind of like, wow, what do we do? So I reached back out to Jamie and I said, hey, you know, you kind of told me that the way that we're doing this isn't the best way. What do you think we should do? He said, let me take it back to my business partners and let me see what we can do. And he went back and they created a, a, a vehicle to kind of extract us out of that public shell and to put us back as a private company. And so January of 2008 is kind of where we rebooted and so from 2008 to 2014, we essentially, we grew from like 10 clients to 350 clients. And it was that, that, we're, that, that escape velocity that we said, hey, you know what, we're going we're gonna to go into market. And, uh, and right before that is when we kind of started Care in Action, which was about 2014. And then 2015 is when we took the private equity money and started it. All right, Conquerors, we're going to take a quick break here in the show to tell you about a group called Columbus Gives Back. If you're looking for a way to get involved in your community, but you don't know where and how to start, look no further than Columbus Gives Back. By partnering with over 150 Central Ohio nonprofits, Columbus Gives Back makes volunteering fun and easy by offering 30 to 40 volunteer events each month that are free of cost, commitment, and hassle. Sign up for your first event today at columbusgivesback.org. That's columbusgivesback.org. Conquering Columbus would also like to take a moment to thank the 11th Candle Company. 11th Candle Company may be in the business of selling candles, but the social enterprise thrives on igniting hope. Employing women who have experienced human trafficking, 11th offers the resources to redeem, empower, and support them on their journeys to burn bright again. Every candle sold shines a light on an issue that often walks in darkness and provides hope to once trafficked women on their path to redemption. Come pour your own candle of hope at Polaris Fashion Place across from the Apple Store or visit www.11thcandlecompany.com. That's www.11thcandlecompany.com, and that'll be linked down in the show notes. All right, Conquerors, let's get back to this episode. So there's a lot 
along the way, a lot of ups and downs, and you talked about going from 10 clients to 350. What did the team, what, so how did the team change on that process? How did your role change? And what did you like about it? What did you not like about it? Well, a couple of things that we learned early on is, you know, tech was incredibly important. You know, this is this is the lifeblood. A lot of people are saying, "Are you a service company or are you a tech company?" And the answer is, we really are both, because our service lives on that tech. And you know, we we really worked hard on creating teams that could do the tech part of it. But because we are such a service-oriented company, that that the resources that we were using was equally as important the training of them because we learned early on about the training uh, where we're going to put these interpreters because we really didn't want to have them out of their homes I can't control that environment and for me you know I went from you know wearing 30 hats uh, you know even to the point where you know I was on uh, tech support uh, early on you know, I'd get a call at 3 o'clock in the morning and it's like oh Marty's not working I'd run down to the hospital you know throw my pants on run down to the hospital and Oh, you got to open the, the flap on the camera so they can see the video. You know, and run back home and you know, jot that down because I'm going to ask that the next night when they call and they can't see the video again. Uh, all the way up to you know meeting with uh, you know clients and, and selling and everything like that. And and I think one of the the key things that I learned early on is don't have an ego that prevents you from hiring good people around you. Surround yourself with good people. You know, it sounds so cliche and stuff like that, but man, you're not, you're not the brightest guy in the room. You shouldn't be the brightest guy in the room. You should really surround yourself. And so as I started to take hats off and putting them on to other people to do those, those jobs, I actually believe in doing that helped the company more. I was a bottleneck. You know, our CEO could be a bottleneck. Anybody in, the, in that group that was trying to run the company could become a bottleneck because you're trying to do so many other things that if you're not delegating that off to people, you're not growing. You're, you're really hurting the company. So, so as you guys look to the future, you know, what does is, what is the organization structure look like today and what, is your, what do your goals look like for the next three to five years? So from an organizational st structure, you know, senior leadership, we're still pretty flat hierarchy. You know, there's, there's, from an executive standpoint, there's six of us. Then we drop down into some middle management but primarily, you know, we're, we're about 450 strong in um, employees, W-2 employees, and a majority of those being interpreters, covering eight language centers across the United States, everywhere from here in Columbus, down to Puerto Rico, New York, and all the way out to the west coast with Port, Portland and, and L.A. Um, but, you know, it, you know, we're still driven. Our, over, our, our overall goal and, and mission is, is still pretty much stayed the same from day one. You know, we want, we want to be impactful in making a difference in, in the lives of people that present at a hospital that need care. And as we've grown, obviously, you know, we've added other, other use cases is what I like to call them, starting with addressing language services, uh, you know, now the platform we're, we're doing um, telepsychiatry. So same platform, just a different use case. Um, I think one of the neat things that, that separates us is that we're uh, able to bring an interpreter into that session. And the fact that, you know, communication is still the number one diagnostic tool for a doctor. And so being able to kind of bridge that and to bring that, that unified 
health team together on one platform it really makes a difference in that. But I think over the next five years, you know, we're going we're gonna to continue to establish and work to establish uh, to, to bring CloudBreak Health as, a, you know, the leading unified telehealth solution in the marketplace. And I think we have a very unique way of doing that in that, um, you know, right now we're in, in about approximately 1,300 healthcare facilities across the United States. And, uh, you know, we're all, we're all kind of a little bit of disciples of Peter Diamani and his, his thinking. Um, and one of the, one of the uh, interesting things that he brought up one time was when talking about um, hunger and how hunger isn't a food problem, it's more of a logistics problem. How do you get food to the people that need food? Because there's plenty of food. I mean, the United States throws away more food than France consumes. And we've kind of taken a little bit of that approach as well, is that you know, a lot of people think that there is a doctor shortage or there's problems with that. But what we truly know is there are facilities that have capacity of doctors, and how do we get those doctors to the areas that need a doctor? And we believe that our solution, our telehealth solution, can expedite that because we have relationships in all these places. So if you could imagine, you know, we, uh, we have the uh, leading cancer center in New York and people need, you know, good oncology uh, in the Midwest. And because we have clients there, we can broker conversations and create relationships where we almost create a whole marketplace where everybody can kind of work together in that. And that's a little bit of our goal is to kind of get that going. So pretty exciting. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting, kind of in a unique position because as the United States continues to get more and more diverse, interpreters become more and more important. But uh, it's a side question and probably a whole other conversation. But uh, what do you think, so jumping back into the interview, what do you think some of the biggest challenges for your team will be moving forward. You know, um, it's interesting, and I and I still see this today, and I'm and I'm seeing it more and more. I think one of the, the biggest challenges that we're seeing is that there are times where we still believe that we're a startup, and because we're entrepreneurs, right? You know, it's like, wow, we're gonna we're gonna do this and we're gonna do that, and. The challenge right now is taking that that company that we are right now and really transitioning and transitioning it to an enterprise level company and really putting the, the processes and systems in place to make it a sustainable company going forward. You know, we've we've lived a lot in what we refer to as the what if and not the or the you know, oh oh well, not the what if. And you know the what if creates analysis paralysis and just do something and if it doesn't work, oh well. But now we're kind of living a little bit more on the what if. You know we should think about this before we do it and how it's going to impact people. And that's a transition that we're that we're starting to see from that standpoint. Uh, so yeah, um, I, and the other thing, I, uh, you know, from a standpoint of some challenges is obviously you know the culture one. You know, because we're kind of going from a culture of what I refer to as a culture of one when I started the company. And, um, you know, we were talking a little bit about the two different cultures. At some point, I can't be the culture of the company. Uh, our CEO can't be the culture of the company. The culture that we've established really being kind of a, a we've, we've established this culture of, as corny as it sounds, is that we're kind of like a family. But, you know, we, we believe that a culture of many is really what's going to shape our, our, our company going forward. 
and that that I think is is, is going to be very very important as we move forward. And it's a challenge. You know, we talk about the you know the culture of one and and kind of going to the culture of many. I always kind of think back of a, a local company here, Wendy's, and how so much of the culture of Wendy's was based around Dave Thomas, and Dave Thomas, Dave Thomas. But when he left and when he passed away, it was like that culture was based on him. And you kind of see how they had to pivot and become a different culture and to kind of reshape themselves. And I think that's something that any company that's moving into an enterprise uh, style company needs to, needs to take into consideration. It's not about the founder and it's not about you know, the entrepreneur. It's got to be more about the whole culture. It's such an interesting set of problems. Like, you know, like you hear a lot of times that people will talk about there's there's different people needed at different stages of a business. Um, and a lot of people will go as far as saying that the people who get you to certain points can't get you to the next. Um, you know, I, I think I'm a big believer in people and their ability to adapt if they really want it. So I don't know if I believe that to a holistic standpoint. But what I, I do find interesting is like the stage that you guys are at and then even going through business school and reading about some of these large Fortune 500 companies, public companies, the biggest struggles they always write about aren't making more sales. They've hit a point where the money's coming and they have it. But sustaining that culture, continue to innovate, um, building a culture that's going to keep them alive for the next 5, 10, 15, 20, 100 years. So it's interesting to see you guys start to hit that threshold, not really worry about startup problems anymore, but how do we begin to look at ourselves as an enterprise corporation and now start to deal with enterprise problems? And I'm sure that that's got to be a unique challenge for you. Your mindset's got to completely change, you know, kind of like you mentioned. It's, it can't be uh, a focus anymore of, like, the startup situation, but, but how do we operate as a big company? So I think that's pretty interesting. Especially when you bypass some of the systems that have been put in place. Hmm. You know, <laughs> it happens, right? It's like, <laughs> why did you call that person? Well, I needed an answer. You know, it's like, well, you know, we have a new process here, you know. That person reports to this person. You should be talking to that person, not directly to the person. I'm like, that's a change. You know, that's what I'm used to. You know, if I had a question or something like that, you know, I, it's, it's, it's a learning experience, especially when you look at an entrepreneur who is, is used to running everything and, and running down the road and making sure of things. I feel that that is the most challenging part of an entrepreneur. And they always talk about it, right? Entrepreneur gets to a certain point and then they have to hand it off because you have to start to put in those processes. And I'm learning that. Yeah, that's a fun one. That is. So a lot of our listeners, they're young professionals or entrepreneurial in spirit, maybe 24, 35 years old. You kind of fell in entrepreneurship, it sounds like, and then you kind of just seems like you're your mindset and just sitting with you and talking with you a few times I have seemed like you kind of go with the flow a little bit more and you're not like, I, I don't imagine you as a person that had like this exact path planned out that you were going to go down. So for our, our listeners out there that are entrepreneurial or maybe they, they do have their career kind of laid out step by step, do you have any advice for them? You know, some people always ask me, when we ask the goal question, I didn't ask, answer what are my goals in three to five years because my goals change quarterly <laughs> it seems like you know I don't have truly a a path it is it is for me a little bit of a free flow um, you know I have I have a, a thought and where I really truly want to be and how I'm going to get there 
But as an entrepreneur, that path is always going to change. And you're going, you're going to be faced with things that, that um, you know, you think is the right idea, and you might go down a little while, and then you quickly realize it's like, that isn't, that isn't it. You know, so you have to change path. And, and when you change those paths, goals change with them. I think I learned early on that people are always willing to give you advice. You know, well, this is what I think you should do. And in the end, I think what was beneficial for me and what I I live to is, is that advice really going to apply to the, the set of goals that I currently have now? And will it get me to the next level or where, where will it go? You know, there many, many times as, as we were running and, and growing this business, you know, people come and say, like, why are you doing this? You know, why are you throwing good money at bad money? And as an entrepreneur, you know, it's, it's kind of like your baby. It's like, you know, I'm not going to throw my baby out kind of a thing. And believing in the idea or, or believing in, in what you're doing and, and knowing that it can be successful is, is you know, advice that, that, that anybody should know. You know, don't let people talk you out of your idea because they think that it's not, a, it's not an idea that will work. And if people are giving you advice, take the advice. If it works, use it. If it doesn't, discard it and continue on what you're doing. I think that's solid advice. And uh, I guess one of the questions I have is, what are some of the challenges you face as an entrepreneur, right, that maybe weren't, don't get mentioned as often or weren't something that you were thinking was going to be part of the deal? Wow. <laughs> You know, I think, I think, you know, that's a really that's a really neat question because I think one of the things as an entrepreneur, and I was talking a lot about how you're wearing all these hats and stuff like that. I think what happens as an entrepreneur, you have your head down so much, and you're 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 down in these weeds, and you're and you're you know you're constantly faced with different challenges every day. And, and you're, you know, just trying to keep things moving and stuff like that, that I don't think a lot of us kind of pop our head up enough and to see maybe a little bit of what we've created, the successes that we've had. Um, I think that, you know, that's the hardest part, you know, is if you get too buried down into the, into the, the day-to-day and that, and that really tough stuff, if you don't free yourself and come up and see what you're doing, then then it's going to be a it's going to be a long hard road of what you're trying to do. So celebrate your successes; they're out there. And uh, Andy, I think it's probably a good place to pivot towards one of our last questions of the show. It's centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, and that's live uncomfortably. And without telling you too much about why we chose that particular phrase for a show about entrepreneurs. What do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your life and career? You know, interestingly, I love that 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 phrase, the "live uncomfortably," because uh, in in truth, for the last sixteen years, I've not lived comfortably. You know, even more than sixteen years. Sixteen years at, at Land and Cloudbreak, and even before that. You know, as soon as you step across that entrepreneurial line, you're going to live uncomfortably. Um, that's going to be, again, you know, you're going to be constantly faced with decisions that, you know, you don't always have the information for or the right way of making that decision. Uh, we talked a little bit about, you know, 
the, the comfort of, wow, you're finally at a point where you're making money and some stuff like that, that's when it gets uncomfortable because now you're going into that next realm of, of different things. Um, you know, if, if, if I think really honestly, uh, living uncomfortably is the life of an entrepreneur. And if you're not, then you're, you're not in the right business. Again, living uncomfortably is, is when you've got a, a, a room full of people looking at you to give them direction and to lead them and, and that they're kind of wanting you to tell them what to do or how to do things and stuff. That's living uncomfortably. And when you do that, and you learn from that. It's when you kind of start to, you know, process that and, and to remember those things. And uh, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're not going to know until you kind of take that step and step over the line and, and hang that shingle and see what it is to be uncomfortable. It's a great feeling. Well, Andy, that's a great answer and a great interview. We really appreciate you taking the time to uh, hop on and tell your story and Cloudbreak Health story here on the show. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I really enjoyed it. Yep, and uh, Conquerors, thanks a lot for tuning in. That was Andy Panos of Cloudbreak Health. If you guys want to learn more about their team, check out the links down in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in. If you liked it and learned a lot, make sure you share it with your friends, like us on Facebook, give us a review on iTunes. That really, really does help us out, and it makes sure that everybody in Columbus gets to hear all these great stories. So uh, other than that, again, thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, Conquerors, that's it for the episode today. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. If you did, make sure to leave a like. Share us on Facebook with your friends. We really appreciate all your support. And every time you share our podcast or leave a review on iTunes, it really does help us out. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus. And their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. And small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to work with like-minded businesses to raise money for great causes and participate in large-scale volunteer efforts and improve educational opportunity for youth in our community. Their next event is on July 24th, Community Service Day, with a happy hour afterwards, meant for small business owners, entrepreneurs, and community-driven professionals across the city. To learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That is smallbizcares.org. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in, 
in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.